hi, my name is Terry, and I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. Uh, this program has really changed my life, and, um, and I am so grateful for it, so, so grateful. Um, when I was getting sober, it was not my choice. Um, somebody was telling me that I had to get sober, um, and when I came into MA, I was just, I came in resentful, and I came in not wanting to do this program, and I just kept coming back, and uh, the more I came back, the more I heard things, and then eventually I stayed. Um, so I was born into a family that was affected by the disease of alcoholism, alcoholism and addiction. Um, they weren't alcoholics, but there were other isms, other behaviors that they had. Um, and so my family had that, and I grew up in that. Um, and that, that has a whole lot of stuff that goes on in that. In alcoholic families, there's usually secrecy. There was secrecy in my family. Um, there's usually don't feel your feelings. And in my family, don't feel your feelings. If you're angry, go to your room. Um, and then there is other stuff, you know, abuse and things that, that go on in, in them. Um, and although my parents loved me and um, I was in a family that was as loving as they could be, um, I still grew up in that. And, um, and so it's no, uh, I mean, it makes sense that why I reached for something to get me out of me as soon as I could. Um, when I was in, oh, I don't know, grade school, um, I thought it was so cool to drink, drink alcohol. That was so cool. Um, and I would have a sip of my dad's beer, um, and that was just so cool. Um, and eventually I came to have my own beers, and a whole bunch of other stuff went along with that. Um, in my family, I grew up, and I, I didn't feel loved by my mom or my dad. I felt like my mom loved my sister more than me and my dad loved my brother more than me. And so that just kind of left me out there. And, uh, and that is a very lonely place to be um, when you're growing up and you're not feeling that. And so I grew up quiet. I was already a quiet person, but I kind of receded more into the shadows um, because it just felt safer there. Um, and what I didn't know at the time was there were things that were beyond my control that were, that were going on, and I had no control over them. I was just a kid trying to figure out how to do this life. And so um, it wasn't until I was 48 years old that I realized what was going on. I was 48 when I finally realized why I felt unloved this whole time. And, um, and it, was, it was an eye-opener and a life-changer um, because I realized that when I was a little, little girl, I was just a toddler, uh, my sister was born, and my mom gave her all the attention, and my brother was uh, quite an energetic toddler from what, from what they say. And uh, so my mom had her hands full, completely had her hands full, and, um, and she was doing it by herself, and my dad was working two or three jobs. 
So, um, so yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now I understand it. Um, but I didn't get it at that time. I didn't know that when I was growing up. And so growing up, I felt like I wasn't loved. And everywhere I looked, I saw proof of that. Because you find what you look for. That's just what happens. Um, my sponsor has always said to me, uh, don't keep score in your relationship. Because if you keep score, you're going to come out losing. And um, because whatever you look for, you find. And if I see that my partner, if he's not doing as much as I am, I'm doing more of the cleaning, um, then, of course, I'm going to be doing more of the cleaning. I'm going to be seeing that and getting resentful, and, and I lose. And there, so there is, no, there is no good that comes out of that. But I didn't know that as a kid. So everywhere I looked, I saw that I was not loved. And, and also I didn't love myself because you can't learn that if you're not being shown that. Um, so I started partying whenever I could. When I was in high school is really when it, it took off. And it took off big time. It started with drinking, a lot of drinking. Um, I felt like I had to get drunk every weekend. And if I didn't, then I was a loser. Um, and so I got drunk often. I was the one that pushed my friends to drink. Um, and they went along with me. Um, but it was always my fault. I mean, my, my, my fault, yes, but it was my pushing. Um, I was the one who would stand in front of 7-Eleven and ask total strangers to buy us alcohol, and they would. They bought us alcohol every single time. Um, so I, I drank a lot. I remember one of my friends said to me, um, we were drinking, and we, we got a six-pack of beer to split, and I knew at that time that a six-pack wasn't enough because I wanted to get drunk. And she just wanted to drink some beers. And, um, and so I kept saying, but we need more. We need more. And she said, well, why do you have to drink? And she said, why do you have to get drunk? And I just didn't, I did not understand that question. I, it wasn't a have to for me. It was I wanted to. That's what I thought. In my mind, I wanted to drink. And that's what I said to her. I said, I want to drink. I'm a partier. I was already identifying myself in that way. And um, it wasn't until years later that I understood it was a have to. I had to drink because I had the disease of alcoholism and addiction. Um, so I now know that. But at the time, it really was, it was a stupid question, I thought. And so that's why I remembered it. Um, and at the time in high school, I thought weed was so bad. I was anti-weed. Sure, I'll get drunk and get sick all over the place, but I won't do weed. And, uh, and I found some in my brother's room. And um, I happened to be snooping, and I found some in his room. And I thought, I was appalled. How dare he have weed? And, um, and you know, I stole it. And um, I didn't steal it from me. I stole it. I gave it to my best friend who gave it to her brother who sold it or smoked it or something. Um, but I stole that from my brother um, because I was extremely judgmental at the time. And um, it was just ironic that years later, that would be the thing that I loved more than anything. Um, but I felt that weed was really bad until 
I started doing it in college. And college was a free-for-all. It was fabulously wonderful and absolutely horrible and demoralizing all at the same time. Um, I did lots of, lots of drinking um, and other drugs. And then eventually I found weed and I found my people. My people were the stoners. My people were the ones that wanted to sit on the couch, listen to Dark Side of the Moon, smoke weed, and talk about things or just sit and stare at each other. Um, They were the musicians. I was a dancer, so it just made sense. Um, They were my people. And so we did a lot of drinking and drugging together. And at the time, that is exactly what I wanted to do. I did not at all want to be one of those people who didn't ever drink or do drugs. But it led me to a place of um, eventually it led me to doing, to smoking weed every day, every day, all day. I would get up in the morning, I'd smoke weed. I'd get ready to go for work, go to work, and then I'd smoke a little more weed just before I'd go to work. Then I'd go to work, and then on my lunch hour, I would get high again and go back to work. And then after work, as soon as I got in my car and at the first red light, I was smoking a bowl because I couldn't make it the whole way home. And my drive home was only seven or eight minutes, and I couldn't make it home. It couldn't last that long. And so I was not in a good place. Um, I didn't understand anything about addiction at the time, so I didn't see that I was an addict. I just saw that I was a partier, um, and that was exactly what I wanted to do. At the, by the time I came into the program, I was only surrounding myself with people who smoked pot the way I smoked pot, who drank the way I drank. If you didn't smoke pot or drink the way I did, I really didn't want to be around you. And, um, and if I had to be around you, I would get high right before I'd see you. And we'd do whatever it was, and I'd leave as soon as I possibly could so that I can go home and get high again. And, uh, and that's where I was. That was the place that I was in when I, um, when I finally got sober. And toward the end, I was making lots of deals with myself, lots, many promises that I broke all the time. Every morning when I would get high, I would say, okay, but tonight I won't get high. And then I'd get home, and sure enough, tonight I was getting high. And then I'd say, okay, but in the morning I won't get high. And then I'd wake up, and in the morning I'd get high, and I would say again, well, tonight I won't. And I I just kept making those promises and breaking them all the time. I even tried to, um, to get high only on the weekends. I tried to get high only on the weekdays. Um, I tried giving up weed but still drinking alcohol. I tried um, giving my friend all of my pipes and paraphernalia and told him not to give it to me even if I begged him. And then the next day I'm begging him and he's saying, no, you said not to even if you begged me. And, and then I got pissed because that's mine. Give it back. And so he did. Um, and that's where I was at. That's where the disease took me. Um, I didn't understand much about it at all. 
I really didn't. I just knew that I had to do it every day. And, um, and even if I didn't want to, I still would. And that didn't make sense to me. So I was seeing a therapist and, um, and the therapist told me that I had to get sober and go to meetings. And, um, and wow, I was furious with her because why, why go to meetings? Um, but I had to, this is what she said. And, um, and then she put a little threat in there that she would get me in trouble with my, uh, with my job and my career. Um, so that lit a little fire under me. And so I went and, um, I went to my first meeting. I went high because I did everything high, everything I did high. So my first meeting, I was high, but I was out of weed at the time. So I was high on resin and that buzz is not so fun, but, but that's what I did. That's what I had to do. Um, so I go to my first meeting and, you know, that first meeting, there was, um, it was at a halfway house on, um, on Dunn Drive in Culver City. Um, there were couches all around, um, all around the room. And, um, and people were just sitting on the couches. They were talking. They were talking to each other, just like my friends did. And they were talking about Wayne's World. That, had, that movie had just come out. And, um, and there was just a little familiarity for me because my friends and I had just done that exact same thing over the weekend. We sat around getting high. They sat around their couches getting high and um, uh, talking about Wayne's World. So there was just enough familiarity that I didn't absolutely despise the meeting. But I sat there. I didn't want to talk. I'm sure I introduced myself. Um, But as soon as the meeting was over, we held hands. You guys said that prayer that I didn't know. And I ran out the door as soon as I could. And I went back the next week. And I think it was because that little bit of familiarity helped me not hate it. Um, and then I also needed to keep going back so I wouldn't get in trouble with my career. And, um, and so I went back, same thing. I went in there, didn't talk to anybody, didn't share. Um, and then as soon as the meeting was over, I was out the door. And, um, and then I did that for a third week, went in, was quiet, didn't say anything. And then I was out the door. And that time somebody stopped me and, um, and he talked with me and it was such an eye opener because he talked with me about staying sober one day at a time. And that was a blessing for me, really a blessing, um, because I didn't understand one day at a time. And he was saying, just don't smoke, smoke weed for tonight. Tomorrow you can. And then tomorrow you're going to wake up and it will be today. You just stay sober for today. And that was enough to just lift the pressure off of my shoulders of the fact that I had to stay sober for the rest of my life. Because that was too much. It was way too much for me. Um, but I could do it a day at a time. And I did. I kept going back. I, uh, I eventually got a sponsor. And the sponsor talked to me and told me to do the steps. And so I did the steps. And it was in doing the steps that my life started to change. It was also going to the meetings. But the steps are where I really saw what was going on with me. So for me, doing the steps is the most important part of this program. But 
going to meetings is a close second because they are both so, so important. Um, so the sponsor that I had, she was the absolute right and perfect person for me at the time. I didn't know it. I didn't pick her because she had what I wanted or anything. She was just friendly and she gave me her phone number. So I asked her to be my sponsor and it worked. Um, and so we went through the steps and my first fourth step was, um, uh, it was, it was interesting, all the things that were coming up. I had so many resentments. And, um, and I'm so grateful that there is a place for me to put those things down so that they don't have to stay in me and have any more power over me. So I got to write it all down and get it all out. And then I got to read it to her, um, which was scary because who is she to hear all of my secrets? Because, you know, I don't want you to know my secrets. Um, but I told her all of it. I was honest. And, um, and that, doing that fifth step was wonderful because she told me things about herself. And she related to me. And there was zero judgment from her. And that felt great. Because here I'm telling her all these horrible things that I've done. And she's saying, yes, I've done them too. And so I felt like I was not so alone. Um, so I fast forward, I go through, you know, go through the steps. I go to big book workshops where we go through the big book, um, a paragraph at a time, and we work the steps together. And, and um, I, I did a few of those. And then um, when I was, I don't know, I guess in between two and three years sober, um, I started getting resentments at my meetings. Um, and I made a decision. Um, oh, by then my sponsor had moved to Florida. Um, and my sponsor moved to Florida at a time when there was no internet, no cell phones. If I wanted to talk to her, I had to pay long distance fees. And so, so she was out of my life. And, um, and so I didn't have a sponsor. And then I started getting resentments at my meetings. And then I started saying, well, I'm not going to go to that meeting, but I'll go to these, uh, I'll go to other meetings. And so I started going uh, to other meetings. I went to AA meetings, um, but I didn't know people there. And so I wasn't connecting with anybody. And so it was so easy for me to just slip away and not go to those meetings. And eventually I saw that I was not going to any meetings. And it was at this time that, uh, that I met a guy and, um, that guy was a sick puppy. He was a sick puppy. Um, but so was I. I was a sick puppy because that's what I was attracting into my life. And, um, and it was a very sick relationship. But I was in it. And because I had a good foundation in doing the steps, I was able to stay sober by the grace of God. And it got me into another program. And I will be forever grateful to that other program because I went, started going to those meetings and that kick-started me back into going to uh, AA meetings and, um, and MA meetings. Um, so it started me back in the program. And I'm so grateful because I was at this pivotal point. I was in so much pain. I was either going to recommit to my program or I was going to go out because I was in so much pain, I needed to do something. And by the grace of God, I went back to the program. 
And, um, and that I will always remember. And since then, I see a lot of two-year-olds start stepping away from the meetings. And uh, so now I know it's not just me. It's a thing that happens. Um, but uh, my experience was, thank God I was able to come back. So um, in coming back, I got another sponsor. I tried to work the steps with her, but I wasn't doing it fast enough for her. And so she fired me. And, and um, but I was doing steps in the other program. Anyway, there was just a lot going on. But, um, but eventually, I got the sponsor that I still have today. And, um, and this woman has been such a blessing in my life. Um, so I went through the steps with her. And she showed me a way of life that, um, that is so refreshing. And she is this energetic kind of person um, that I was able to just kind of attach myself to and see her and start to emulate her and her program. And she worked a great program. And, um, and eventually she moved up to Washington, Vancouver, Washington, and she still lives there today. Um, but by that time, cell phones were in existence, and so she kept her cell phone number, and I was able to call her and, um, and stay in touch with her. And um, I'm really grateful for that because she is still in my life, and I still call her, and we talk about things. I have worked the steps with her a number of times, um, and my life is different because she is in it. Um, let me see the time. Oh, hey, it's moving on. Um, so the steps were absolutely important to me, still are. Um, I heard it said a long time ago that the same alcoholic will drink again. And what I know that to mean is the same addict will use again. If I come into the program and I stay the same, I do not change, I will go out and use again because that's what I do. That's my solution. But if I come in and I do the steps and I have that change that we all have from doing the steps, I become different and I do not have to go back out. I can stay sober. And the, that really fuels me to keep moving forward. Um, over the last bunch of years, um, I've had a, a huge spiritual upheaval um, it's been a blessing, but it was extremely hard at the time. I had, um, I was experiencing a lot of grief, and I didn't understand that. Um, I had a number of incidents where they were grief-inducing events, um, but they weren't the loss of a person. It was the loss of a job. It was the loss of my health, the loss of my partner's health, the loss of my dad's health and my nephew's health and, and um, a job and uh, loss of a job and loss of another job and then he was threatening not to pay me and there was just a lot of stuff that was going on and I didn't understand that I was experiencing grief. And so eventually when one of those, one of the last things that happened, when that happened, it just slammed me to the ground and when I, uh, when I started trying to do the steps again, I got to step two and realized that I don't have a God. 
I used to have a God. I used to have a great relationship with a God. I had full-on belief. I was surrendering all the time. And then all these events started happening one after another, and I didn't know how to process all of that. And I didn't understand it at all. And so I was not surrendering as much to my higher power as I could have, and it was a challenge. Um, So here I am in the midst of all this grief, um, sinking into a depression. I went into a full-on depression, and and I – I know that the steps and the program are my solution. I know that. And so I stayed. I did not go out. I kept going to meetings. I went through the motions because that's what I knew to do. Um, And at that time, I was attempting to meditate, but I couldn't. I couldn't meditate. Um, And I used to be able to meditate 20 minutes every day. Um, but, but I couldn't at that time. So all I could do was, um, was sit and stare. So I would sit and stare every day. I'd sit in my little meditation spot, and I would sit and stare. And then eventually I got one of those little uh, balls with glitter and water on the inside, and I would watch that. I would shake it and watch the glitter fall. And then I would shake it and watch the glitter fall. And that became my meditation. And that sitting and staring that was my starting point. And, uh, and so I started attempting the steps again. And, um, and I got to step two, knowing there is, I, ha- I have no higher power. And I had to figure out what was going on. I had to come to believe. And I didn't know where to go with that. But I was reading in the big book, and there's a line in there that says we had to, to fearlessly face the idea that God is everything or else he is nothing. What was our choice to be? And that place was really an important place for me. That line sat, I sat with that line for a long time. I sat with that thinking, is God everything or is God nothing? I don't know. And for a while, I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore. I didn't know if I was atheist or if I was agnostic. I, um, I was open to being atheist or agnostic. I absolutely was. I was open to that. I wanted to find a, an authentic relationship with program and with a higher power um, that I could rely on. And, uh, and so I was open and I explored that. I went to meetings, agnostic meetings, and, um, and I read about atheists. And I explored that and I came to understand that I didn't believe that God was nothing. I didn't think that there was nothing. I, I thought there was something, some kind of power, some kind of order in the universe in some way. Um, and so I had to go with God as everything. But I didn't know what that meant because if God is everything, God is the love, the peace, the joy. But that also means God is the death, the torture, the war. Um, that didn't make sense to me. And, um, and it didn't have to make sense. At that time, it absolutely didn't have to make sense. I just knew there was something out there. And that was enough for me to be able to move forward. And, um, and moving forward 
was it was interesting um, because I had to keep keep going and keep make taking the actions that I needed to take um, in order to keep growing, and I did. And eventually, I came to understand I had been in grief, so I started exploring that. I started um, being able to surrender. Um, I didn't surrender to anything because I really wasn't sure if there was something to surrender to, um, but I was still able to surrender. And I'm glad that I was because I learned that in those first many years. Um, I learned how to surrender to a higher power because I had one at that time. So I knew that all I had to do was let go. Um, and that was, I just was able to let go. And I didn't, I wasn't letting go to something, which I had been before. It's just like when you, when you take a deep breath and you let it out, you're just letting out that breath. You're not letting it out to something. And so that's what I equated it with. And, um, and that was enough for me to just take a deep breath and let it out and let go of whatever that issue was, whatever the thing was that I needed to surrender. And, um, and so that was what I did for a while. The present moment was what my higher power was. Um, and for many years, the program was my higher power because I knew that the program had solutions for me anytime I was having a conflict. I knew that there was some kind of principle, some kind of idea in the program that would benefit me and help me find that peace. Um, and so I would go to the program. I would go to meetings and hear what they had to say. I would share about things. I would talk with my sponsor and get her experience, strength, and hope in, on things. And, um, and in surrendering to the program, that was a blessing because it got me through all of that. And now I'm, um, I feel like I'm, I'm on the other side of all of that. I'm not depressed anymore. I haven't been for, for a number of years. Um, but life is so much different. Life is so much better. And my relationship with my higher power in whatever form it is, because I still can't describe it for you, um, but I know right now this is the most authentic place for me to be. And I get to just let go and surrender. And I'm so glad that I have been able to find that. Um, I know I'm going to have to end, um, end soon, but, um, but the one thing that I really hope you take away from, from this share is that working the steps will help you every time. It just does. And now when conflicts come up for me, um, I just say, okay, I'm going to do the steps and then I'll be different, and then I will address whatever this issue is, um, unless it's something that has to be addressed right in the moment, and then I do that. But the bigger things, I get to just let go and work the steps. And so I am. That's what I'm doing. And I do that a day at a time. I'm grateful for um, being in the program. I'm grateful for my sponsor. I am grateful, super grateful for all the women I sponsor because they bring so much to my life. They really help me in ways that I never, ever could have expected. And, uh, and I'm really, really grateful for, for every, all of them because my life is, is different and it is better because they are in it. 
And that's what this program is. We come into the program, people talk to us, people share with us, and then we get to share with others and give that, give that back to the program by giving it to somebody else. Um, I'm super grateful that I've learned how to do that because my life is enriched by it. And um, I guess that's, that's all I'm going to say, um, but thank you so much for uh, letting me share and um, listening to what I had to say. Thanks so much.